You know, I wanted to particularly have Ellen and Betty share just because their stories so much demonstrate something that's often missed, and that is that their situations had no answers. Parkinson's don't get better. It just doesn't, except for God. Betty's situation just doesn't improve, except for God. There's two sides of the spectrum as far as illness and accident and the resulting damage, but the overall thing that is the same is God. Yesterday as we were walking around Kansas City, this song that Leslie's getting ready to lead here in, in a moment is just going over and over in my mind. We were just walking around praying. I've done it over and over again in this city. We do it in various cities around here, just walking around praying. We're realizing that as we walk and as we pray, as we really believe that He's with us and the peace of God is with us, the atmosphere changes. Yeah. And that song was going over and over in my mind yesterday. I, admittedly, I was thinking more about this service than I was about Kansas City, but hey, I was asked to go, I went. Come on, join in this morning. The Spirit of the Lord is here. The earth is all around. The Spirit of the Lord is here. Spirit of the Lord is here. The evidence is all around. That the Spirit of the Lord is here. Overflow in this place. Fill our hearts with your love. Your love. Surrounds me. You're the reason we sing to encounter your love. Your love surrounds us. Spirit of God, fall fresh on us. We need your presence.
before we move on, I just want to emphasize something. When you're outside of this house, this, this building, and you sense the presence of God starting to just bubble up in you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It, sometimes it's just a song. Sometimes it's, you know, that it's something you're supposed to do for somebody or, or say to somebody. Or sometimes it just feels good. But that's so a place where you must know that now in your personal life, a miracle can happen now. And that miracle doesn't always change your existence, but it changes the existence of people around you. Because the Spirit of the Lord wells up in you. He doesn't come from somewhere. He just manifests Himself forth from you. And now think of what can happen in your relationships if you begin to be aware that the Spirit of the Lord indwells you. And with all of his equipment, he, he doesn't come in pieces. You're not waiting for the gift of healing. Maybe the manifestation of healing, but not the gift of healing. But just his presence says all that God is, is here. Betty, you want me to help you up here? You can make it on your own. Well, just come on up then. Okay, I'm going to read a lot of my testimony because I don't want to leave anything out. Um, it's so good to be here with my family, and I do consider each and every one of you a member of my family. It's a humbling privilege to stand before you and give my testimony today. My greatest desire is to give Jesus Christ all the honor and glory for what has happened in my life and body. I want you to all know how much your countless prayers and acts of kindness in helping us with food and household chores have meant. A special thanks goes to our pastors, Glenn and Chelsea, for their constant prayers and uplifting visits. While thanking people, I could never forget my dear husband, Marion. He was always by my side throughout all of this, and over the last several years spent day and night beside my hospital bed, sleeping in a recliner for approximately 200 days and nights. You don't know what a comfort that has been. I have learned from experience that God heals with miracles and by one step at a time. In January 2002, I experienced a miracle healing. It was a Sunday, and due to some upsetting events that day, I started to have severe chest pains. I tried to dismiss it and hoped it would go away, but ended up going to the ER late that evening. I was having a severe heart attack and was told that I had damage from a previous heart attack. They sent me by ambulance to the Iowa Heart Center in Des Moines. On the way to the hospital, they lost me for a short time. I clearly heard God say, You shall live and not die. When I arrived in Des Moines and the heart catheterization was completed, the doctor told me, We don't see hearts like this here and don't understand this as your test before you came showed severe heart damage. He said, your catheterization showed no clogged arteries at all, 
and no current or previous damage. I told him I did understand, and I knew God healed me in the ambulance. That was a miracle healing. Praise Jesus. By your stripes, I was healed. That is evidence that miracles happen now as well as in Bible times. God is no respecter of person. You just have to believe and have faith. The Lord told me sitting here in this church about three years ago that I would walk the aisles of this church. Of course, I was expecting another miracle, but it does not always happen that way. For me, the last three years has been a learning and growing time in the Lord. During this process, even with the constant pain I was going through, the presence and the joy of the Lord was getting stronger in me. I have to say here, that joy is something else. It's something that I hadn't experienced ever before, to really know the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord has been so wonderful on me at times that I don't even sleep all night and I'm not tired the next day. It's just an awesome, amazing thing. The last journey started with back surgery in April of 2005 that went bad, resulting in 15 more back surgeries to correct the mistake and a five and a half month stay in the hospital. Here I have to tell you how important it is to listen when God is talking to us and obey. As we were on our way to El Paso the day before surgery, I was praying to settle my nerves. The Lord spoke and said, don't have this surgery. I dismissed this as nerves and went through as scheduled. Psalms 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. God told me not to, and I didn't listen. That's where our free will comes in, and we cause ourselves to suffer. Thank you, Father, for your grace and mercy. As many times in the last almost 14 years, I have been very close to death, and the doctors were not giving me much hope. Was God punishing me? Absolutely not. He forgave me for not listening, and he loves me so much that he walked right beside me through all of this. My last, and I feel my final surgery, was May 1st, as many of you know. My left hip was totally gone, and the doctors told me there was nothing that could be done as I could not have any more metal put in my body. I was admitted to the hospital very ill with a high temperature on April 30th. The hip was full of MRSA, which is an antibiotic-resistant staph infection. They had to go in to clean it out, and now they had a new partial hip replacement that contained no metal and replaced it. Again, the doctors were not real optimistic as my infection count was so high. I knew when I came out of surgery, my healing had started. During that nine days in the hospital, God used me to witness to my roommates and their families and to share the unmeasurable love of Jesus Christ. If you want real joy, share Jesus. <laughs> yes, I am still using a walker, and my balance is not good. I know beyond a doubt that I have been healed in many ways, and my pain, for the most part, is gone for the first time in many years. 
I also know in my spirit I will walk the aisles of this church in God's timing. I did walk the aisles of the church this morning, not in a wheelchair, as they said I would be by now. Now I want to read a short paragraph from Gloria Copeland's book on healing. She says, James 5, 14, 15 says, If any sick among you, call on the elders of the church and let them pray, anointing them with oil, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick, not just some sick, any sick. It is against the will of God for you to be sick from the beginning of time. The word of God has offered God's healing power to any who would be obedient and come to receive. There was not a multitude so large that even one remained sick. Jesus healed them all. The leper said, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus said, I will, in Mark 1, 40 and 41. You will never see Jesus refusing to heal anyone. You will never hear him say, you're going to have to keep the sickness two more weeks because the Father and I are trying to teach you something. (laughs) You will never hear that. You will never see Jesus saying, you are to remain blind because we want people to give glory to God. Jesus never withheld the healing power of God, not even in Nazareth. It was their will, their unwillingness to receive, that kept them from receiving. God's will never changed. I have not wanted to dwell on the pain and suffering today, but to dwell on the goodness and greatness of what Jesus did for me. I am so thankful, Lord, for all that has happened in my life through the hard times. My walk with the one who loves me so much that he died for me has grown beyond measure. First, we must invest by believing and developing an unshakable faith. Then sometimes we have to wait, but then you shall receive. So many of you have been instrumental in my process. To name you all would take too long. The Lord impressed on me to name one, though, and that is Polly. One Sunday during worship, she came and stood behind me and started praying with her hands on my shoulders. I wasn't even sure who was there, but from the heat in her hands, I knew there was a strong presence of God. I knew that day that healing had started, even though for the next six weeks before my surgery, my pain was much worse. Glenn said last week that we don't receive our healing because we're focused on the healing and st- instead of being focused on the healer. How true. That statement became a realization to me. Thank you for letting me share some of my story today. Anyone who is suffering from any sort of problem today, whether physical, mental, or relational, our God, 
through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, wants to heal you. I would like to finish by saying for me, to reach an unshakable belief in faith has been a process. I started with praising God, seeking his presence, reading the word, especially passages on healing, listening to healing tapes, reading healing books, and one story that impacted me most was the Betty Baker story. She is a relative of Caleb and Damon's. You all need to look that up on the internet. It's Betty Baker's story. It will blow your mind how Jesus came into her home and healed her. And then worship music also helped. Also, the 23rd Psalm, Jeremiah 29:11, and the 91st Psalm, are three of the special passages that always brought me closer to God's presence and strengthened me. Thank you again for being patient with me, and I love you all. A lot of people, Betty, would say it's a miracle of modern medicine, but we know better. Just in my experience in knowing you, I was trying to think of how many times that the doctors really gave you no hope. It's just be a life of pain and misery and death. But God. But God. I might have misunderstood uh, the name that I think you're referring to as Betty Baxter. Yes. And that is a tremendous story. That, that's one of the stories that caught my attention very early on in ministry. And I just, I'm still amazed by it because there came a time when she heard God and then it was, it was finished. I mean, it, it took a little while for it to manifest, but untold suffering in between. But God, God took a hand in it. Many times in a service where we're focusing on just the manifestation of God in whatever way, God will plant a seed in your heart. Now, I, want, I could go into a long, long uh, spiel on this, but I'm not going to. But realize that the seed comes from the Word. Because, you know, when Jesus was telling the parable of the sower, he said the seed is the Word. And so as the word goes forth from people, the seed begins to be planted and there's an excitement. Let me tell you something. If you don't, in your life, begin to focus on that seed and respond to it and help it to grow by getting in touch with the speaker, with, and I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about the Holy Spirit, then the Bible talks about the birds of the air come and steal it away. Or it grows up for a little bit and it dies. And that's how it happened is because we get it and we're so blessed, but then we don't pay any attention to it. We don't, we don't try to get in touch with the master gardener and have him help us. So if something is planted in you today, I want you to realize that it comes from God. And as we speak out of his presence, it becomes seed in your spirit and then you have to do something with it. So... We're going to focus actually on the anointing for a little while. I want to pray for people, so I'm not going to go very long here as far as teaching goes. And 
One of the reasons I say that is because I honestly could spend the rest of the afternoon un unraveling some things that God has shown me about His presence and about healing. And I don't want to do that. I, I, I want to make it concise, but the life of Jesus demonstrated what it is to be anointed. Let that settle into your spirit for a moment. If you want to know what your anointing, the expression of God through you will look like, study the life of Jesus. Because that's what a natural man bearing and responding to the anointing looks like. And in reality, according to Jesus' teaching, that's what the Father looks like. Now here's, here's where the stumbling block comes for many people. Is now, if I'm understanding this, that means I must go to my world and express that anointing, manifest that anointing with the confidence that that is Father working through me. Now many people pray for healing. And they, they sense that deposit. They, they sense that, man, God is touching me. But then when they walk out the door, the pain, it still hurts. And so they began to focus on the hurt and began again to pray for healing instead of being in partnering with God in that manifestation that was there and, and then the next morning getting up and becoming so aware of his presence and saying, God, how do I work today with this manifestation of your healing? How do, how do I work today with this anointing? How do I express you today? For some time now, almost everybody that's received a major healing that I've worked with would have something of the testimony of Betty, something of the testimony of Ellen. There's been a few instantaneous things, but not that many. But there's been many, many people that work with healing. I'm going to do this quickly, but three years ago, the doctors were telling me that it was a wonder that I was even alive. But you know, I was, I was okay with going. That's the honest truth. My family wasn't okay, and they kind of laid hold of God and laid hold of me. And, and the, thing, the thing is, I began to realize that God was saying, I'm not finished with you yet. And I knew if that's the case, I had to be healed. And just this past week, we had some confirmation of, something, of some things that's been happening in me. You don't even know this completely yet. But some months now, maybe two months, I've been feeling like the Spirit of God was telling me, you're over-medicated. I've been doing the work in you, and the medication now is causing you more problems than it is good. And, and then Chelsea done some studying and, and, and began to tell me what she was finding. So there was a large portion of my medication. I had an appointment last, was it Thursday? And there was a large portion of my medication that about 10 days prior to that, I just quit taking it. Man, we'll see. And when I got there, I began to tell them the difference in what I had noticed. And the doctor says, well, I think we need to just take these medications off your list. And you know, these spasms that have been so much a part of my life, they've just been gone. They're, they're just gone. I, I haven't had my voice choked down to cough for 
almost two weeks now, except one time, and that's when I didn't have something to kill some acid, and I took another pill to kill it, and within 30 minutes I was choking again. But that's healing. Because they, and I was, I was in agreement with them, not so much with God, but they were saying, well, you know, you, now they're understanding that some of the Navy was also exposed to Agent Orange. So you're probably having some esophageal problems coming from Agent Orange. But don't expect your wonderful government to ever admit that. Because if they have to admit it, that means they owe you millions of dollars. So they're not going to admit it, but that's probably what's happening. But it wasn't. There was a healing happening instead. Was I exposed? Yeah, probably so. But there was a healing that was intervening in the meantime. And I'll tell you what, it's been pretty good to breathe easy for the last couple of weeks. Amen. And to get out in the cold weather even yesterday for hours, we walked in the cold weather and prayed I never choked one time. So the healing was happening. And is happening. There's, there's more that needs to be. I really expect one day... Betty, along with you, I'm going to walk without pain. It'll happen. Matter of fact, I believe it is happening. I'm not praying for it. There's been a manifestation already. I'm praying with it now. Praise God for healing. We live with this hope. It's a blessed hope. And it's not a hope of rapture someday. That, if that's your theology, wonderful, go with it. But I'm, this blessed hope I'm living with is that God will manifest more and more and more and more in me and whatever the end times look like, I'll go with that. Or not go, whichever. It's up to Him. But folks, we need to understand that there is a present God that indwells you. I want you to look at Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 19. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. The news about him spread throughout all or through all the surrounding district. He began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. Now, understand in that verse, there were a set group of people that done the reading. It was not good. It wasn't acceptable to just walk in and pick up the book and stand up and read. But he did it. He, he defied almost all the rules, if you'll, if you'll just follow him looking at that. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Why did they do that? He wasn't even allowed to read, yet they handed him the book. <laughs> he opened the book, found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Now here's why I wanted to read that. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because. And then he goes on to list why. And then another place, I believe it's in John, he said, Now, as the Father called me, I call you. Another place he said, As the Father sent me, I send you. So when the Spirit of the Lord comes on us, and I'm not going to ask how many would, raise, would think that that is happening to you, but I'd say most of us have sensed the presence of God upon us from time to time. When that's there, it's not there just to bless you. 
It's on you because. Because there is an anointing in you, on you, flowing out from you to do the work of God. Folks, we have to get this in this, in, in this day and in this, in this nation. We have to get the idea that when we are born again, it's for reason of being a different people on the earth. It's not to be like the people around us so that we can get them to pray a prayer too. It's to live a different life that will cause them to look at us and say, I really would like to know your God. Or at least, who is your God? We need to get beyond the idea that it's socially incorrect and politically incorrect and culturally incorrect to acknowledge that the presence of God not only is around me and dwells in me, but works out from me. This is the kind of teaching that caused Jesus to get in trouble. Because people were not adverse to Jesus being the Messiah. They were adverse to Jesus being a man and expressing the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a whole teaching in the book of 1 John, I believe it is, <clears throat> where John talks about the anointing on people and talks about the Antichrist. I'm not going to spend a long time on that either, but I want you to get this. He, he talks about the Antichrist, and he said, they, weren't, they are not of us. They went out from us. In other words, they left because there was something they didn't agree with and went out from us. But in truth, they were not of us. Why? Because they were against the fact of a man being anointed by the Christ. Now, you can make a whole end-time doctrine out of the Antichrist if you wanted to, but the writer was talking about a religious people that, that were okay with Jesus, but they were not okay with him anointing normal men to express the power of God, the presence of God, the voice of God. They weren't okay with that. They were anti-Christ, anti-anointing. John goes on a little further over in 1 John chapter 2, verse 20. And he says, but you, you're different from them because you have an anointing from the Holy One. And man, he tags in there and says, and you, you know all things. You, you have a witness of everything you need to live this way in you. And then verse 27, he said, that anointing that has touched you abides in you. It takes up residence. It dwells in you. It doesn't come and go. You don't pr pray for it and, and pray that someday it manifests. You understand that he indwells you and he wants to teach you to walk in a way where you're constantly manifesting that anointing. It will not make you a whole lot of friends. It will not make you popular with the religious but for those that have a need, those, those captives, those blind people, those sick people, those, those that feel like they've been in bondage to those people, you'll become a very important person. Why? Because you're manifesting the anointing of God. When Jesus said, in my name, pray in my name, he wasn't saying, tag on in the name of Jesus after every prayer. He was saying, as you walk in my character, as you walk in my expression, as you walk in my power, this is where you'll cast out the demons. This is where you'll heal the sick. This is where you'll do. As you begin to understand that you have the possibility 
of walking as I walk, but you have to have the discipline in your life that I have in my life. But when that happens and you understand what is in you, then things will start to happen. Things will start to break loose around you. Nobody will be unaffected by you. Now here's, here's something that we, we've gotten a little bit askew in our, in our culture. And that is that we have stopped expecting the power of God to break forth from somebody. Uh, let me try to qualify that. Uh, the, the area that my team was assigned yesterday, we walked in down around the, the convention center and, and the music hall and, and the power and light district and, and the Sprite, cent, Sprite, or Sprint, Sprite, the Sprint Center and, and that area. And we were just praying because... because we're not trying to tell God what to do, but we want to know what God wants to do. Because in that area, I don't, you can study the history of it, but in that area, some of the greatest moves of God that ever came to this region happened in that convention center and happened in that music hall. The powerful, powerful people were in there and, and they prayed for the sick and the sick recovered and, and the whole city was shaken by the presence of this place. D.L. Moody, just before he died, held a, held a meeting in the, in the convention center. Uh, the convention center shortly burned after that and was rebuilt. But uh, D.L. Moody, his normal thing was he would preach a salvation message. And he would, he would then make an altar call and people would pray with the people to be converted. And he would disappear. But in that service, he'd done it completely different. He began to declare that God wants to do something in Kansas City. Not only in Kansas City, but out from Kansas City. And instead of an altar call, he was saying, Who out here will commit that I will be a part of the move for Kansas City? And they said that the whole hall was standing on their feet and their arms were in the air chanting, I will, I will, I will. Completely different than an altar call. A group of people that were saying, Out from us can come a move of God. But most of them left and forgot about it. It, it felt good then, but they didn't, they didn't do much with it. And, and it went, and with, as we was praying, I, I was thinking, you know, God, there's a small group of people right now that are beginning to realize that there's something on the inside of them that's different. And I'm not talking about a perfect people. I'm talking about a people that wake up in the morning aware of the presence of God. Wake up in the morning aware that there's something that comes out from them. And some of their first words are, God, what are we going to do today? God, God, what is it that you have as purpose for me today? It might be to go sit at the desk and do what you always do, but do it anointed. It might be that, that you go flip burgers like you always flip burgers, but those are anointed burgers because they're coming out from you. Your spirit is touching them, and those burgers can go out there and they'll touch somebody and might not, might not cause weight gain. <laughs> you never know. I'm not, that's not doctrine. That's just me. But I want those burgers if that's the case. But anyhow. You never know what, what it is God's going to say. He, he might say nothing at that time, but you give Him worth, you give Him worship. You're just waking up and you're saying, okay, God, I, I'm submitting myself to you today. That's the person that God uses. It's not the person that says, I'm praying that God will anoint me. 
and then go on about their life. And then, oh, I, I, before I went to bed tonight, I prayed that God would anoint me and go on about their sleep and get up in the morning. I prayed that God would anoint me. No, you're anointed. The Spirit of God indwells you. If you're born again, there's something in you. And I'll say again what I've said over and over again. Some of the clash of spirit that you struggle with all the time. It seems like depression. It seems like oppression. It seems like all kinds of things. All that is is the Spirit of God in you kicking it around. Saying, if you'll let go of this, if, if you will let go of this, if you'll get out and do what I direct you to do, you'll walk right out of this and it'll never touch you again. But it's because we're praying that he will touch us, that he will anoint us. And he indwells us saying, I already did that forever. What are you going to do about it? Folks, it's a radical difference in thinking. Instead of praying for something to happen, you're beginning to partner together with already happened. Workers together with him. Workers together with Him. Workers together with Him. That you would express the kingdom of God in your world. Now, just talking about the anointing just a little bit. It's His realm becoming tangible and physical in our natural world. That's how the anointing begins to express itself. It demonstrates the Christ, the anointed one. And all the way back from when they first talked about the Messiah, and that, I don't know if you realize it or not, but that word is used interchangeably with the things that the priest done by pouring the oil. And I mentioned it last Sunday, but when they anointed the priest anyway and, and the workers in the temple, they didn't just, just touch their foreheads. But they poured, and they poured, and they poured, and they poured, and they poured, until it finally ran off the bottom of their robes. Significant of what God wants to do with you. But there's another meaning to it. It, it doesn't mean just poured on, but it means smeared on. It's as if God himself starts to put his presence on you, and then says, here, I'll rub it in. Mm. Ah, think about that. The attention of Almighty God on you. How does He do that? I don't know. I don't want to know. don't need to know. I'm sure it just blow my little pea brain. But what I do know is I've been so aware sometimes of Him just massaging, it seems like, His presence into me. Sometimes just covering His, his presence over me. Letting me know, I'm here now. Let's do some stuff. Sometimes people think, well, now that we got this presence, it's time for me to, to lay here on the floor and, and just, like a, just like a weekend lush, I'll just, I'll just be a spiritual drunk. I'll get every time we go to service, I'll just get drunk on God and, hey, we'll just do this thing. Uh-uh. He's saying, I'm on you because. The Spirit of the Lord is upon you because. He has anointed you to do some things. Is it a blessing? You bet it is. Is it a curse on the other side? Yeah. Well, sometimes it's tough to do what he wants you to do. Sometimes, you, there's, sometimes there's death involved. Like almost every time there's death involved. Is it fun to just, to just lazy around in the presence? Yeah, it's fun and it doesn't challenge anything in me. But God wants to challenge everything in you. Everything in you. Why? Because he sees what you can become. You realize that's what he's talking about when it says that your name is written. 
Your character of what you can be in God is inscribed in the heavenlies. It's not a little book with a cute little lamb writing your name. Nonsense. It's, just, it's, the, same, it's the same kind of words that would be used if a, if a rock carver was there with a hammer and chisel inscribing your name in stone in the rock that is the work of God, in the rock that is God, in the rock, you're already inscribed what you can be, what you will be if you move with Him. It's already settled. His Word is forever settled in heaven. Amen. He doesn't look at this one and say, well, boy, I'm probably going to... Damon said this, not me. No. <laughs> I don't, he doesn't look at you and say, well, you're, you're spiritually retarded. You're not going to be able to get there. He says, oh no, we'll overcome anything. And we'll make of you what you can be. And you call Damon and tell him I said that. <laughs> uh, but let's put it this way. If I hadn't said it, he would have. Folks, this is a radical difference from the way we've lived. There's <clears throat> a man that... Uh, was the instigator and founder of the IHOP ministry that just wrote a book. And the whole essence of that book is talking about how the world around us intends to overcome the people of God by convincing them they can't be who they are. Convincing them they can't stand for righteousness. Convincing them they don't have to stand for righteousness. And by that, the powers of darkness is trying to silence the church. But guess what? There's people that have been hidden away in the presence of God. And they've been learning what it is to walk with Him and talk with Him. They've been seeing the expression of the anointing through them for a long time. They won't be silenced. Why? Because it's the presence of God that's welling up in them. And they're going to do something with it. They're not going to just sit there. I'm not even going to get through the few notes that I did write. But understand that the Antichrist spirit is not an objection to Jesus. It's an objection to you being empowered by Jesus. <laughs> it's an objection to you standing up and saying, Oh no, a man is a man and a woman is a woman. How do I know that? God created Adam and Eve. And that's where he began to work. That's how he began to do it. I don't have to have a whole lot of scientific studies, although the scientific studies do back the Bible. But they want to silence you. They don't want you to say that. They want to take away the power of somebody standing up and saying, Oh no, you never know the fullness of his anointing until you recognize that, yes, I'm a man. Or yes, I'm a woman. Hmm. You know, we, I talk about often the essence of the anointing. And the reason I use that is just because of, of an a, uh, illustration that my brother used years ago. When, when he was flying, he was ministering in Africa. He was there for 14 years. He was flying back. They went through Amsterdam. And he said, for probably 100 feet, maybe 200 feet, previous to seeing what it was, he started smelling the smell. And he said it, was, it wasn't good. He said it was just a smell. And it got heavier and heavier. And he walked around the corner. And there was an essence shop. 
and it had all of the rare oils from around the world there that they could be mixed and made into the essence of whatever, whatever it was he were trying to do. But he said, as he looked at that, he began to realize what Paul was talking about when Paul said, I believe it's the King James Version, it says, the essence of God. That you get close and there's something different in the atmosphere. And if, according to where you are spiritually, whether that feels good or whether that feels not so good, but there's something different. It's, it's that spiritual quality that becomes literally a part of the natural. That Once you learn to walk with God and once you begin your morning by responding to God, and you complete your day responding to God. Once you do that, it becomes so a part of your natural that people respond to you in ways they don't even know why you, re- why you respond that way. There are people will walk up to you and begin to tell you their problems, and they don't know why they're doing that. There's also people that will walk up to you and try to get in your face about something, and you don't know why they're doing that. But it's all response to a presence. It's all response to something that comes out of you. And we need to realize that the anointing is the essence of God. It's where the spiritual touches the natural and enabled by God himself. So when you offer yourself for service, it brings a manifestation of the anointing, hear me, to the extent that you're willing to follow up on offering yourself for service. I'm very aware that, that there's people that cannot figure out why we live our lives like we live our lives. It's because we've offered ourselves service to God. It's, and it makes a difference in everything. <coughs> it makes a difference on the kind of job I will accept. Not too many days back, Doug Craigbaum and I were talking about this specific area, and we were talking about what, what really needs to be done in that area. And I said, well, Doug, tell me this. Have, have you identified that leader? And he knew exactly what I was talking about. He said, no, we really haven't. And I said, then there's really nothing to be done there until God identifies that leader. That one that won't move there for a job, but might move there for a church. That one that, that won't insist that the church conform to his job, but insists that the job conform to the church. That one that won't see everything as coming to them easily, but will see that everything's going to come because they have the touch of God. That's the person you're looking for. That one that that won't adjust because people are unhappy, but will walk according to the cadence of the Spirit and realize that there's some things just going to make folks unhappy, and that's just the way it's going to be. When you find that person that God has located in that place, then you can build something around them. Is God already there? You bet he is. Does he already do some things? Yes, he does. But nothing more than that has ever happened. Why? Because God hasn't yet brought that person. The Bible says there was a man sent from God. And that's kind of, that's kind of the, the, there's a sequence there. The, there's a, there, will be a, there will be an individual that will hear God and say, you know, God, this place is needing something to happen. Surely you have somebody that would go there.
And the next thing you know is that person says, God, I know you're going to send somebody there. I'm praying for that place. I'm, I'm, I'm preparing that the spiritual atmosphere will be prepared. And the next thing you know, that person is saying, God, send me. I'll go. Then there's a man sent from God and everything changes. It could be a woman too. I'm using man in the most general term. But I'm just letting you know that, that, that to the degree that you're willing to commit to walk with him. And for, for some it might be that the degree that, that you're unwilling to walk with him is, is the degree that, that you don't believe that, that if a man doesn't work, he don't eat. Why am I saying that? Because that's a large thing that's happening out here in our world. And if you don't believe that, then you're not submitting yourself to His ways. Don't expect to walk in the power of the Holy Ghost if that's your deal. Once you begin to offer yourself, you begin to realize something that in most instances where you're involved, you're at least a part of God's representation. You represent Him there. Think about that. You represent him there. That, that's a heavy load. I'm not going to tell you, oh, that's so much fun. That's a heavy load. Because you realize that God takes you into places and you represent him and sometimes you don't have a clue what it is he's saying. You just know you're there and you represent him. And you learn to be aware on this level and aware on this level waiting on his voice, waiting on him to say something. But also realizing just you being there changes the atmosphere. Just you being there changes the atmosphere. <clears throat> okay, John chapter 5 verse 19. Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it's something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things this, the Son also does in like manner. Realizing that you don't just go and do things, but you wait for Him. You know He's there. You know the expression of God is there, but you wait for Him. And you sometimes it, when you wait for Him you'll say some of the most outrageous things and it'll touch somebody's heart. Sometimes make somebody angry. You don't, you don't know. But you say some of the most outrageous things. There's a, I remember a prominent radio evangelist from the years when they were very popular that said some things that got him called up before his leaders and said, you know, you can't say those kind of things. And he said, it's a wonder what a man will say under the anointing. And that's true. It, it is, you know. It, but understand that you don't always have a concept of what's going on in somebody else's mind. But if you wait, and if you, if you realize that Father is, is directing this and wait on Him, then He'll tell you what to say. Now, my most important work is just simply an awareness of His presence. That's... that's thing where I, I talked about that you're a representative and you don't know what to say, you know, that's really not my problem nor my business. My business was to be there. It's his business to help me to know what to say or what not to say. 
I don't have to work with it. I don't have to try to figure it out. And I certainly don't want to just say something to be saying something. Sometimes the most disturbing thing that can happen when you're following Father's will is for you to stand there and just be silent and not respond. I had an example of this years ago when I was working with a, a framing crew and one of the guys, I heard him talking to a group of men at the church after working together about six months and he and I always rode out to the job together and, and this guy said to these guys, he said, I kind of know when I'm hearing God or not. Because he, he said, I'll, I'll try to ask Glenn what I think of as some of the most spiritual questions. And he said, if it's really dumb, he don't even answer. He just acts like I didn't say anything. <laughs> I'd never said that to him, but he pretty much had it nailed. <laughs> but there's no use in me getting into conversation and, and starting to get into some kind of an argument about something that doesn't mean anything. I, you know, a man's only got a few words in a day, and I'm not going to waste them on that. But the truth is, God will help you know when to speak, and he'll certainly put a guard on your tongue and help you to know when to shut up. And I'll tell you what, this, this generation, this culture, needs to learn to shut up. We've taken those two words out of our schools. We've taken them and, and decided that they're bullying words. How better can you express it than to say, just shut up? God says that to me sometimes. I'll think I'm being so holy and talking to him, and he'll just say, shut up. <laughs> and I shut up. I mean, he, he's the man. And evidently, he wants to say something that has value. <laughs> Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who have realized that his spirit is what's all about, not my spirit. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. They're, they're poised. They're, that meek is that person that's, that's poised to respond to the king. And God says, I'll come to that person's level, and I'll speak to them. And I'll cause something to rise up in them to my level, and together we'll get something done, and, and they'll inherit, the, the, or they'll bring to order, they'll inherit the earth. And out of that awareness comes the hearing. That what I have to say is not all that important. What he has to say is wonderfully important. Now, let me just, for the most part, close with this. He's speaking. Are you hearing? Or are you so busy with religious prayer that you can't hear? Now, I'm a guy that believes in prayer. My goodness, I, I believe in it. I believe in the power of prayer, the authority of prayer, the, the expression of prayer. I believe in all of that stuff. But I believe the worst thing I can do and call it prayer is to just chatter at God. But what if we just become aware of His presence and say, Okay, God, what do you and I do together today? And then listen to him and begin to speak out of that. Because sometimes it will be praying. Sometimes he'll put it on us to pray. I don't know how many times in the past two weeks that I've gotten up and started my prayer time where I'm just I'm looking at, at people and lists of people. And not that I have a prayer list. I don't. 
But I go through with people that are in need and, and I pray. And I don't know how many times in the last two weeks that God has just put this little Carlitos on my mind. You know, our relationship with Rafa makes that important, but that's not the most important. The most important is around that baby. The grandfather of that baby has now come to Jesus. The grandmother of that baby is now more solid in God than she's ever been. The mother of that baby is now settled and not, not, being, very, not being emotional at all. She's just settled and, and saying, we're waiting on God, we're believing God. The extended family around that baby, many of them have prayed and asked God for salvation in the hospital. They've had prayer meetings where people would come over and say, hey, would you come down to the room and pray for our baby? Would you pray for our loved one? Out on the sidewalk in front of the hospital when they were bringing food for the family, instead they would give it away to other families because they were there hungry waiting to see what would happen to their babies. There's a lot happening around that baby. And just over and over again, it comes to mind that God, complete the healing in that baby. Thank you for what you're doing, God, but complete that healing. And, you know, he's lived a long time. The baby should have died 10 days ago, except for God. I mean, when you've got one that little and he's bleeding in the lungs so bad that, that every other day they're needing like two units of blood. That baby should have died a long time ago, but he's not dying. He's hanging on. And you think of those things and realize that, God, you're doing something here. We're not going to try to tell you how to do it, but God, we're looking for the miracle to express. We sense that you're at work. We want to work with you on this. And almost every day I talk with Rafa about be careful. Work together with God. Don't get all wrapped up in your emotions. When you go in there, you hear what God is saying. Don't get all wrapped up in how you feel. It's not about how you feel. We talk like that every day. I can't think of a day we haven't in the last couple of weeks. Folks, that's what it means to walk with God and hear God and do the work of God. Now, in our natural mind says, what if the baby dies? What if he does? He'd be with Jesus. But in the meantime, there's a work of God that's being done. Hallelujah. God is good all the time. Now, this morning, I'd like to ask that we pray together for this baby. Also for Bill and Karen as we're starting out. But as we pray, those of you that would like for us to lay hands on you and pray, come forward. There's going to be several that will be up here praying with people. So we, it, it won't take all afternoon. But let's believe God. Here's what happens. It's not that the anointing comes from me and does something in you. But the anointing comes forth from us, from God first, in us, through us and connects with the anointing in you. And that's doubling up on whatever's wrong. And, and things begin to change. And sometimes even at a genetic level, things will change. This has been proven. I, that's amazing to me. But things will begin to change. And when you feel that sense of something happening, don't go away and not tend that. Steward that presence. Go away praising God for what He started in you. Wake up tomorrow saying, God, now how do I cooperate with you in this healing? God, how do I cooperate with you in this deliverance? God, what do I need to do? And work with Him and see what happens. Now, I don't have a whole lot of instruction for anybody except what I've just given. 
And so as we pray for this baby and as we pray for Bill and Karen, I will say that Bill is doing about the same. We need to pray for peace. They're kind of locked in out there because it's so icy and, and cold. They've had to go to appointments, but that's about all they do. And I don't know about you, but I think everybody gets a little bit of cabin fever during this time. Let's ask that God would bring peace into the whole situation where Karen would sense the peace of God, Bill would sense the peace of God, and just believe and, and have their hope restored that God is actually doing a work. God, he, I believe he is doing a work. Bill gives witness to that. When, when he can, he gives witness to the fact that he still believes God is doing the work. Let's join together with him there and just be ready. I'm ready for him to come up here and click his heels again and say he's cancer-free. And you know what? We, we serve that kind of God. So as we pray for them, those of you that want prayer, come up. Uh, I would ask that the team that's going to North Dakota, those of you that are here, come up and help us pray. And I'm not asking these young people to, to make any big show but I'm asking them to get used to the presence of God and get used to them operating in the presence of God. Because, hey, when we hit that reservation, we're going to get a chance to do that. And there's nothing like seeing the power of God at work when you lay hands on somebody. It just does something to you. And you begin to think, hmm. If you have a long-term illness, Betty, I didn't ask you, but I just thought of this. Betty won't be able to stand up here and pray for people, but go over there and let her lay hands on you and pray for her. Let Ellen lay hands on you and pray for you. Let Polly lay hands on you and pray for you. Understand that wherever God directs you, that's where it's going to happen. And let me tell you something that happens as, as I move around like I often do like this. I'm not nervous. I'm checking out the presence of God. And if I come across here and then I swing back and meet your eyes, it's not because I'm concerned about what you're doing. It's concerned about I've seen something in God that's on you, which is on you right now. It's beginning to touch you and to float, <laughs> flow, <laughs> flow right down from the top. There's, there's a matching anointing out there that you either minister by word or by touch. And the Spirit of God begins to do something. Often, I will look at a young lady like Anna, and I won't embarrass her like I'm doing right now by mentioning it, but I'll just look at her knowing that there's something being released from me that's matching something that's touching her. And she might not even be aware of it, but it's making a change. You see, that's the way you walk because you realize this is not just to bless me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because. And I'm going to live in the because. I'm going to live in the because because I want to see people set free. And not so, no, not so it'll build my reputation, but so they'll be free. Because there's nothing like living in freedom. Absolutely nothing like living in freedom. If you want to be prayed for, come up. When, when you say the Lord. Yeah.